So we need to break the ice. Do you know what I mean by that? Yes. What do I mean? Overcome initial social awkwardness. So let's have a conversation. I did something unexpected today. Do you know a girl with long red hair? She's not ringing any bells. She doesn't live here or... Nope. Madeline is not ready to be buried yet. She's upstairs, oh, resting peacefully. Oh, fine. Oh, if she's not dead, you tell her to come down here. You tell her to come down here, walk right up to me, and kiss me on the... Kiss you on the what? I've spent too much time in this body! I'm fucking trapped in here! View basic questions before the operating system is initiated. This will help create an OS to best fit your needs. Now, when I'm very good and do as I am told, I mama's little angel and papa says I'm good as gold. But when I'm very bad and answer back and sass, then I'm mama's little devil. And Papa says, I've got the brackets. Hey, we're back. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Mary. How are you? I'm a little under the weather, but I'm yeah, all right. I'm hanging in there. <laughs> <laughs> this has been like a horrible, horrible winter for illness. It's really, it really sucks. Like, neither of us have had COVID, but we've both been like really under the weather in the last month or so. Yeah, well, I mean, I hate to break it to you, but I did actually have COVID as well. Oh my God, you actually had COVID as well. Is that what this has been? No, 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 this is not COVID. Okay. Um, I'm sorry to like break it to you on the recording. <laughs> when did you have COVID? <laughs> this, is a, this is a projections podcast exclusive, guys. Yeah. Um, I had COVID in August. Oh my god! I had no idea because we weren't. Recording. I know we weren't recording, and I didn't tell you because I didn't want to worry you. To be honest, I didn't tell anybody. Oh my god, you poor thing! How was it? Tell me everything. How was COVID was like? <laughs> oh shit, Mary, you poor thing. Yeah, it was really rough. It was really rough. I mean, the symptoms were pretty severe, but. I recovered 100%. Like, none of the symptoms I had lingered, thank God. Okay, so now, you can taste and smell. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can taste and smell. I did lose okay. those senses while I was ill. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I had to take time off work. I just was, like, yeah, feeling pretty bad. But, um, yeah, I feel... I mean, recovering from it afterwards, it was fine. Like, I actually felt better than I did pre-COVID. So, oh, that's uh, interesting. Honestly, like, if you can, if you can catch COVID, I and and then and then fully <laughs> recover, I highly recommend it. You know, five star experience post COVID. But um, wow. But obviously, this is not. This is something else. It's just a head cold. Yeah. But um, yeah, I know. I've just oh, blown that's really your mind. Unfair. <laughs> Yeah, that's so unfair that you had to have COVID and a head cold in the same year, in the same like I know. few months. You poor I know, thing. right? Why didn't I? Yeah, I feel like I should have been immune to everything, you know. After yeah, definitely. From COVID. 
it seems like after COVID you should never get ill again because it's such an intense illness. Mm-hmm. So like, I guess like, you know, medical science like doesn't work in that way, but still like it's still, yeah, it seems really unfair that you then have to have another week where you're really ill for like seven days. Yeah. So I'm sorry about that. Maybe oh. it's just, maybe just some, someone is saying that you need to have a lot of rest this year because you've worked yeah. so hard. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe this is like, enforced bed rest because yeah. I've just done too much <laughs> I think actually that is possible like I think that's kind of what was happening with me when I had like a UTI and then norovirus mm-hmm. like I just had to oh, go yeah. to bed for like two whole weeks and yeah I think sometimes that is what's happening you've just like done too much and you have to rest so maybe that's what's I just feel happening. It's such a, it feels like such a strange contrast, how I feel at the moment energetically when I think of our last recording, we had such a ball, like laughing and now I'm all like, (laughs) it was so much fun. I can't tell you how fun it was afterwards editing it. I, I, I can imagine. I actually, my mum said, my mum said, thanks for your name check. And um, she said she could not stop laughing. Like she was listening to it in the car and she just like laughed the whole, the whole time. So oh uh, positive God. review from my mum. <laughs> I'm honestly really relieved to hear that because afterwards I was like, well, that's it. I'm in, I'm never going to be able to meet Sarah's mum now. She's going to hate me. <laughs> <laughs> no, she absolutely loved it. She, yeah, she thought it was great. Um, oh, amazing! I think a lot it of people so did. Funny. I think a lot of yeah. people did. We got some really good feedback, didn't we? We did get some good feedback. It was very everyone was very kind. Um, but sorry, guys, we're not comedians. We can't do that on like on demand every time. <laughs> <laughs> Just the episode is the emotion the episode is, and that is how it works. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you know, with me being unwell, I could still slip into that delirious state. You know. Oh, totally. Have you had, have you actually had any <laughs> delirium um, with your illness, with either of you, with either COVID or your cold? Have you had a Not fever? with this, yeah, not with this cold. I haven't had a um, particularly high temperature, just a mild one. But with COVID, yeah, I was delirious. I was like, do, do you remember? Yeah, I, I felt you like I was tripping. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember what you, um, I don't know what the word is, like what you hallucinated when you were, when you uh, were tripping? Oh, um, well, I it was this weird thing where I couldn't tell if it was day or night. I was 100% like confused. And I thought when I looked out and it was sort of daylight, I thought it was moonlight. And wow. I really couldn't tell what time of the day it was. I kept looking at the clock and nev- never being sure if it was a.m. or p.m. It was so weird. And Oh, that's I really thought- interesting. Yeah, and I kept also hearing like the strange echo. Uh, like it was like auditory hallucination as well. Never had that before, but I was running a very high temperature. So yeah, it was like a, a true fever dream stuff. It was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, that does sound kind of cool. I always think people's hallucinations are quite interesting. Like, because yeah. they're quite, they're so different for everyone. Like, did I tell you about the one that I had when I had the norovirus? No. Um, I hallucinate. I, I like. It was like a. I was definitely awake, so it wasn't a dream. But it was like. Um, I often get this when I've had too much to drink. I think there are like loads of people in my bedroom, like having a party. So this one was like. 
I was at a business conference. So it was kind of similar to a party, like loads and loads of people. And I was mm. the only woman and we all had a stomach bug. But because I was the only woman, I had to make ginger tea for everybody. So I like kept trying to get out of bed to make like a thousand cups of ginger tea. Um, but also just thinking like, this is really unfair just because I'm the only woman. Like no one wants to make tea. And, oh my God. And I told my friend Nick that. And he said that when he was, um, he had a fever recently, he uh, had also had a dream where he was in a conference full of men and they were deciding whether women should be able to raise their hands over a certain <laughs> height. <laughs> so we had like, we had these kind of delusions about like being on different ends of the patriarchy. <laughs> like, <yeah. laughs> like this oh really God. like strangely similar hallucination, but like he, like he could have been one of the other guys at my like hallucinated business conference. Like, I don't wow. know, it was very strange. <laughs> yeah. You were dreaming from the shared universe, like, yeah, yeah, the different perspectives. Maybe it's like an alternate universe that really exists. Maybe there's like an alternate universe that's just a business conference full of men. Oh my God. And sometimes yeah. women like drop into it when they've got a temperature. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm holding out high hopes for this alternative universe. And if I find <laughs> out that when I get there, it's going to be another dumb culture war, I'm going to be really <laughs> pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I would assume there's like a million alternative universes. So. True. So yeah, this is just one out of a billion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> infinite possibilities. <laughs> oh my god, hilarious! <laughs> so, what else has been going on? Um, just a lot of work this week. I took this copywriting job, and it's like not the job for me at all because mm. I'm not a fast writer. Mm. And it's just taking me like hours and hours and hours, and I get paid by the piece of writing. Right. So it's just, yeah, it's been a total fail. Like I've been like, right. I've just been sitting in silence writing like morning, noon, night. So, mm. um, yeah, not a great, not a great, um, not a great week <laughs> work wise. Um, but I have had my friend Ben's like gorgeous cat with me. Um, who's this like really Aww. fluffy British short hair. So that's been nice to have like a cat kind of just faithfully like sitting on my bed while I work. <laughs> it's like, I can have like little breaks, little cuddle breaks with. Is so, that Jimmy yeah. the cat? That's Jimmy the cat, yeah. I remember I remember hearing about this cat. He's the Very best cute. cat. Like, he's, yeah, he's the cutest and like he's kind of like a dog cat, you know? Like he follows you around <laughs> and like hangs out and like comes and visits you in the morning. And yeah, he's really nice. And he can't go Cut outside, so he's always around. Aw, does he cuddle? He cuddles, like he likes to kind of, he in the morning he gets on your chest and puts mm. his face like centimeters from your face and like stares at you really intensely and purrs <laughs> um, every single morning without fail. And like, I really want to take a picture of it, but I can't take a picture of it because his face is so close to my face that like <laughs> I can't get a view. Like it would just be like a blurred, like close up of a cat's face. But <laughs> it's a very nice experience. It's really like, it's kind of like, um, I don't know. Yeah. It's like having like a baby, like, you know how like they, mm -hmm. they want, like they're supposed to like lie on your chest and do like skin to skin. <laughs> like it's like a cat version of skin to skin. Apart from it's like fur to duvet. Like, yeah, it's really nice. And he stays there for like 15 minutes and then he like gets up and walks away. Like it was like, it was like never his idea in the first place. And like, yeah, <sighs> it's, he's very strange. Oh my but, God. Um, he's so intense. He's so intense. And now he likes being here so much that when Ben comes to pick him up, he hides under the sofa. Um, because yeah we kind of because we're like we work from home and we're always here 
So I think mm-hmm. he like thinks he thinks we're like the house of perpetual love, basically. <laughs> oh my god! Well, I hope one day when I'm coming around to visit, he'll be there. I want to meet him. Oh yeah, you should. Next time, next time Ben leaves him here, I'll tell you, and then we'll try and get you around for for um, dinner or something. And that would be great. Can, yeah, you just need to like be here for like an hour before he like wants to sit on you. So yeah, he he's like if I, like if you're especially I think if you're a woman like he'll warm up to you really fast. But if you're a man, like mm. he thinks that you've you've come to put him in back in the travel cage, so he like hides. So <laughs> Alex came around last night and he was hiding under the sofa, and I was just like, Jimmy, it's not Ben. Like come out. and then I picked him up to like I was like picked him up to show like show him to Alex and he like put his head like all the way around like he refused to look at Alex (laughs) yeah anyway sorry my my ravings about this cat but I'm very in love with that oh he sounds so cute he's very very (laughs) cute he's really pretty I would like a cat like that but I have to like have quite a lot of space I think because I think if they go outside then they just get stolen because they're like really beautiful and expensive Yes, of course. So, yeah, so it's quite intense having a cat that's always at home and needs like a litter tray and like needs like attention all the time. So I think it has to wait <laughs> until I have a more grown up house. Yeah. <laughs> Are you oh, ever so going to get sweet. a pet? I feel like you really wanted a cat mm, for a while. I do. I'm definitely a cat person. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we will get a cat where we're living at the moment because we don't have a garden and Paul has it in his mind that cats definitely have to always go out. Like he can't accept that some cats would just want to stay in a flat. Yeah. Um, And so because of that, we're not going to get one at the moment. But we did used to have a local cat who used to just come round and visit us from time to time. That's so nice when they do that. I know. And he always used to like, like I I, I just opened the, the, the door and he'd be there. Like without fail, he'd always be there and he'd just march up the stairs and come into the flat and make himself at home, you know. But oh, that's so I, cute. It's so cute. And I really love that cat. But to be honest, I haven't seen him for a while. I'm a little worried. They do like they just kind of they like change things up in weird ways. Like he's probably going to someone else's house for a little while and then mm. one day he'll just be back at yours. Like, I hope so. I, we had there's a cat next door that's like this gorgeous little white cat and she kept coming into our garden we didn't we didn't know whose it was for a while and Ooh. like i my my desk faces the garden so i always see like what's going on and like she came to us a couple of times and we gave her like some cat treats that we had left over from when jimmy was here and then <laughs> like every morning at like 11 she was just like put, like paws on the fence like waiting for one of us to come out for like a couple mm-hmm. of weeks but then we haven't seen her for ages. So yeah, I don't know. She's maybe she's staying inside because it's cold. But yeah, she like she got into like a routine with us and then then she like disappeared. And then like sometimes she comes back and then sometimes she goes away for weeks. So yeah, it happens, doesn't it? Yeah. Very fickle. Yeah. Very independent. That yeah. we I do see another cat outside that every time I'm looking out the window and I see him, he's murdering a bird or a mouse or something. Like he is fucking savage. Like, wow. Just, that's impressive. He's, yeah. He, I don't know. And maybe that's why we haven't seen this other cat because this other, this new cat that I'm seeing is very dominant. And I mean, he's Ooh. a killer. He is, he's, he's just like a brutal killer. 
it's amazing. It's kind of amazing <laughs> to see. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of impressive when you see a cat like that. It's just like, how did you get like that? And all the other cats are just chill. It's yeah, just really, I guess they have as many personalities as we do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I kind of there's something about his violent impulse that I kind of like. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I understand. As soon as you said that, I was like, wow, it's really impressive <laughs> that he's such a murderer. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah so I'll, I'll hold out hope that hopefully that other, you know, hopefully that other cat will come back. But it's um, maybe I just should think about, I don't know, going to maybe see some cats at, you know, the rescue place in Battersea. Yeah, I think that's a good thing to do. Although it is lovely to have a kitten, but I know. Like, but yeah, like if you're already kind of if you're already like half adopting like a neighbor's cats, then like you'll be you know maybe it's time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think if I if I find one at the Battersea place, um, and if you know if it's just too cute, maybe Paul will just be convinced to go for it. There's like not a single person that would like give away a cat, like a surprise cat. <laughs> like it just doesn't have, like that is the thing. Like you know, it's always good to get permission, but I also think like if you just brought home, you would just brought home a cat and was like, "We've got a cat now." Then I think he would just be like, "Okay." You'd have, yeah, um, yeah. you'd have to accept that. Yeah, I think so. Like, who would say no? Who would say no to a cat? You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I, I, I can. I can see this being cited in the divorce proceedings, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it'd be cited as into why you quickly moved into a bigger home. Like, you know, it would it would propel your life forward. You know, you'd suddenly get you'd get first a cat, <laughs> then a garden. Everything's falling into place. <laughs> well, if he brings that up, then I'll I'll reveal that he gave me COVID. So oh, he did he? Yes, he did. He he gave me the plague. So I think I've got my trump card here. Definitely. I think the I think actually like the traditional I'm sorry present for giving someone COVID is a cat. Absolutely. It's an yeah. age-old tradition. If you bring it to the office, you have to bring a box of cats in when you come back. Like it's very it's terrible on the tube. Amazing. <laughs> loving loving this energy already. Yeah. Oh, cats, cats, cats. <laughs> like, have you ever been to that cat cafe in Bethnal Green? I wonder if it still exists. Oh yeah. No, I never went there. Maybe I should go there. Get my cat. Oh, totally. Fix. Let's go. Let's go together. Yeah. I mean, it's like I think the cats are kind of like a little bit weary of being petted because they're just like around people all day. But and it's a bit gross. Like, I think there's something a bit gross about being served food in like a room full of cats. <laughs> like, it's a bit disgusting. This is like cat hair like flying everywhere and you're trying to eat like a stone. <laughs> it's really weird. But it, but on the other hand, you're in a cat cafe, which is really This is not what I imagine when I picture eating pussy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, why isn't it why isn't the cat cafe called eating pussy? That is such a missed opportunity. Right. That's just so stupid. Oh, <laughs> because that's what they're all doing let's face that it that is literally what they're all doing all the time oh, 
<laughs> Sarah, okay, Sarah I'm lowering talk- the tone already. <laughs> yeah, you are. Yeah, you're already getting a little like up. Your fever's creeping up. I can hear it. <laughs> <laughs> At least last time I was polite enough to let it, you know, sit at the end of the episode. Yeah, now, no, now like, we're just going right in, right in there. Well, I'm getting more fine. daring get at more. every show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what are we, we talking talk about, about today? We should talk about uncanny makeup <laughs> in cinema. Or the uncanniness of makeup. Um, yeah. Do you want, I mean, I know that you're like a, you're already a makeup connoisseur. Mm. Um, and I love makeup as well like I'm more of a skincare person but I also love mm-hmm. a bit of makeup mm-hmm. um, but do you have any um, theory when it comes to the uncanniness of makeup I mean it's just I guess I can only speak as a kind of person who engages very closely with the format of makeup you know mm-hmm. and there is definitely uncanniness about that and uncanniness about beauty in general I think Mm -hmm. in the sense that um I mean I've actually quite changed my habits in terms of like how I consume beauty products now I used to be more experimental and I would just kind of buy loads of everything to test out and over time I've really developed like a, a very discerning standard of what it is I'm looking for in terms of application, packaging, stay power, you know, pigmentation, Mm. texture. Like I've got so many different criteria. (laughs) And so I've become much more discerning in terms of my shopping experience. So I'm actually not buying as much anymore. I just turn to the labels that I really trust, that are just real pros Mm -hmm. and always give me what I want. Um, Namely... I mean, I could do like a top 10 of everything. And if and, and, and this is like tried, tested and true. This is the holy grail of makeup purchases. One of them being the new Gucci mascara, I have to say. I love it. I mean, I, I hope they never discontinue it because I found the love of my life in a mascara. It's perfect. Mary, but, you um, should do, have you done this already? <laughs> you should do a beauty video for your Patreon. I know I really should. I haven't. I haven't. But I, I do have like solid idea. advice to give people. You really do. Yeah. Like you've done like years and years of research and now I have. You're, you know what you're talking about. So like yeah. I think you need to do one of those very soon. Yeah, and I mean I'm the, the things that I would recommend are not like frivolous things. They're they're the real genuine article, like that you would just never go wrong buying that, even if it costs a pretty penny, but you just it, it would stay in your kit forever so it's a good investment but yeah maybe I should do like a top 10 of everything you know um yeah so yeah I suppose for me th- what attracted me initially to beauty and makeup was the potential for transforming and like literally transforming your face and I suppose like that creates a doubling feeling or this uncanny thing about your one person without your mask and you're somebody else when you're all dolled up mm-hmm. and um and so the kind of duality that exists within the same person just by virtue of using makeup products feels very uncanny to me but also beauty in general feels like 
I mean, I, I talked about this on a Patreon show about the difference in terms of beauty and the sublime. And philosophically, beauty is a rather benign thing. When you look at something beautiful, you appreciate it, but there's no harm there. It's just a simple pleasure, you know? Mm -hmm. The object of beauty is just like a benign object. But the sublime is rather more complex because it's potentially an object that can destroy the observer. So it's something that holds within it a vastness that we can't quite contain just by observing it and saying, oh, that's a beautiful object. There's this other darker energy attached to the sublime, which is which is still holding space for beauty. It's just that it has this other layer that seems like it could be harmful to you. Even and, like um, even yeah. the word vastness is frightening to me. Like Yeah. It's so evocative. It's just like so terrifying. I'm I've always been like really frightened of big things. Like ever since I was little. Yeah. The other day I was walking I went to, when I was in Paris like I was I went past it was some kind of like enormous statue in in a taxi and I was just like, "Oh, I'm frightened of that. I don't want to go near it." Like I've always, yeah. I've always felt that about vastness. Yeah, yeah. Like actually, Freud talked about this, seeing like huge mountain ranges. I think like on mm -hmm. the border of uh, Switzerland and another European country, he was on vacation and he saw these incredible mountain ranges, and he thought to himself, "This is beautiful, but also terrifying." I mean, look how big mm -hmm. it is. You know, I can't wrap yeah. my mind around it, and. That's, that is exactly the effect of like looking at an object that could maybe like almost like suck you into it, you know, it's like this yeah. void. And so that also contains this element of the uncanny and something that you can't quite master. It's not just being able to maintain your dominance over a beautiful object. It's in the relation in, with the sublime is something where you, f you now feel vulnerable in relation to that object. You can't master it the way you would do just with simple beauty. I would say that's kind of like the feeling of falling in love, mm. you know? There's one thing to find somebody just hot. <laughs> yeah. You know, that person's hot and you can like get on with your life, get on with your day. But when you're falling in love, it's like that person now holds this power over you. Yeah, it's, it's totally destabilizing loss of control. Yeah. Um, just because yeah. of like the infinite possibilities of what could happen with this, like, yeah, with this relationship. It's very yeah, yeah. And, and even how you define yourself as a person, you've worked so hard to like create this persona, which mm. which we know in psychoanalysis is always performative, of course. But you know, we do it. We can't help it. We we try and create something constant and falling in love or the sublime sort of influence on your life can so quickly show you how these things you've been working so hard to like piece together are actually just, it's just a house of cards, I'm afraid. <laughs> mm. Oh, God. This is very this is very spooky conversation, Mary. You're touching on some really terrifying things. I know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean it's kind of it's terrifying for sure, but always there's this element of beauty attached to it. Like it's so attractive, you know? There's mm -hmm. there's something so um, magnetic and alluring there. 
that's why maybe that's why people say, you know, there's that old saying from the sublime to the ridiculous, because I feel like that can qu- so quickly shift as well. You can see the absurdism in the sublime, how mm-hmm. it can have this almost a comical impact, which I find that that's really played out really well in Death Becomes Her from the sublime to the ridiculous. Oh, Whereas Death Becomes Her. It's amazing. <laughs> I know. But when we talk about like makeup, Clara Cleese film, I think that really tries to stay, it sort of graduates from beauty to the sublime. It's an opposite direction of travel, you know, from, from beauty to the sublime, whereas that becomes her as really it's from the sublime to the ridiculous, which is great. Yeah. Do you want to start with Death Becomes Her? Yes. Yeah. I think that's a good, that's definitely the right order then. Okay. Um, I'm going to synopsize quickly. Um, so Death Becomes Her, 1992, Robert Zemeckis. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a long synopsis for this one. Um, best frenemies, actress Madeline Ashton and writer Helen Sharp fall out over plastic surgeon Ernest Menville, who breaks off his engagement with Helen to marry Madeline. Depressed, bitter and obese, Madeline, Helen is committed to <laughs> a mental hospital where the staff try in vain to treat her murderous obsession with Madeline. Years later, unhappily married and with her acting career on the decline, Madeline is invited to Helen's book launch where the writer appears to have become younger, slimmer and more beautiful in contrast to Madeline's ageing looks. Following up a mysterious lead from her plastic surgeon, Madeline visits Liesel von Ruhmann, who has a supernatural use potion <laughs> to offer. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Love Isabella Rossellini in this. Oh, she's so perfect in this. Like, there's not, like, this is like the part that is tailor made for her, I think. It's incredible. Yeah, definitely. This film did very well commercially. It made $150 million worldwide when it released. Wow. I mean, what point at this in, at what point in Bruce Willis's career was this? Was this like <laughs> post Die Hard or pre Die Hard or. Like, it's such a strange, ah. it's such a, like, in terms of his, like, uh, star persona, it's so incredibly different. <laughs> it really is. It's post-Die Hard. Die Hard was 88. This is 92. Okay. So, post-Die Hard. But then I guess it's also post-Moonlighting, and he is really funny in Moonlighting, so I guess he already had, like, a comedy background. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. It's really good. I mean, um... I like the fact that it also got an Academy Award for Best Visual Effects. <laughs> Definitely, because they're so amazing. Like, they're so good. They are. Even, even watching it like today, I was just like, these are so these are so good and convincing, and like mm. they're completely sort of pre CGI. I have no idea how they would have done them, but yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, they're they're great. They're great fun. I feel like they have that kind of early internet early tech aesthetic to to them so they even seem cool now yeah 100 percent. like it's gone from like it just it's always kind of has this timeless feel this film I think it does because it kind of harks back to like Hollywood's golden age but it's made in the 90s so I think because of that it never really kind of seems to age like ironically (laughs) So, Ironically. so yeah, yeah, the film itself the film itself has a youth potion. Yeah, it drank its own potion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And it's almost as if like beauty is now their currency because they all are kind of all the people in this sort of secret society are kind of shown to be rich. Like yes. 
and it's just like how are you rich like you're not even allowed to be in public life so it's just like they're so beautiful that they don't need money anymore yeah yes and in a way that's what these ladies are striving for they're they're looking to it's like they're they want to live forever there's this kind of i guess fetishization of immortality but that's completely wrapped up in a conventionally defined beauty Mm -hmm. that you can continue to like have your vitality, have your, you know, not even necessarily physically because they're undead. (laughs) Like that, that doesn't even matter that their body is essentially a corpse, you know, that they're just like reanimated zombies or whatever, but, or, you know, reanimated corpses. But it's the fact that even the perception or the performance of beauty guarantees a certain like, staying power or their ability to continue seemingly living oh I mean I I guess it's kind of it is the case like we do remember like the most beautiful people years and years after their death and like frequently before you know what someone did for a career you know them Mm -hmm. for being beautiful so it is kind of it actually does it does work that way it's just that these people don't have to like live with their corpse bodies forever in Hollywood Yeah, that's so true. So much of what we're seeing in this movie, I feel, is being materialized on Instagram. I feel like Instagram is death becomes her for Zoomers. Mm -hmm. I can see that. Expand. Well, in the sense that, you know, um, a lot of the girls and maybe also guys as well who are like taking selfies and certainly on TikTok as well they would never stop to think twice about using like a, a beauty filter. Like that's just a given. Mm-hmm. The beauty, the beauty filter is this thing that pretty significantly changes people's looks. <laughs> it's like this uniform that you have to wear to appear on these platforms. And everyone wants to have like a flawless photo at it as well. And look really good. I mean, not obviously not every user, but let's say people who are really like playing up the whole selfie game. Yeah. Um, there is an expectation to to use filters. And I feel like the filter is the magic potion in the film because it's sort of giving, it's, it's about creating an illusion and actually creating a, a discrepancy be- between who you really are and maybe a much more complex definition of beauty And this very straightforward, like, cookie-cutter compliance with a conventional beauty norm. Um, I was thinking about this the other day because I was thinking that, like, the children of millennials are going to be having a really uncanny experience because their (laughs) parents, like, have had Instagram profiles for many years. Like, these kind of curated Instagram profiles, these, like, these, you know, really flattering selfies face filters and they're presumably going to continue like doing that as their children grow up so their children are going to have to contend with like these weird doubles of their parents like they're kind of like yeah they're they're digital personas and then like the personas of your parents whereas you didn't have that before you maybe could find like old pictures of your parents when they were young sometimes but it wasn't like you had these like two coexisting like parents like the young and beautiful one that like that like it's like it's like every parent has a picture of Dorian like a Dorian Gray picture yeah where they have like this like smooth perfect youthful digital presence and then like an aging like parent presence (laughs) it's really odd 
they're competing images yeah exactly like are people gonna like uh, gradually are we all just going to prefer to like interact with each other's digital selves because they're more beautiful that's the thing I mean and you know like people turn to selfies for comfort as well like it's like looking in the mirror which I've I still need to like write this essay I mean I've been meaning to expand on my theory about the Lacan's mirror stage and selfies you really should I mean that's something I first talked about years ago so you must write it pitch it to someone I'm gonna get on you to pitch it so that you can, <laughs> I know so I that you can have a reason to write it I really um, need or, to do it or like a video essay would be cool you should make a video yeah essay I think I think that's more my jam. Like if I know that I'm going to be narrating it, then I feel more motivated to write. So maybe I should just do that. Write a script for a video essay. I think that's great. And then like, and then, yeah, and you're a great editor as well. Okay, that's what's happening. That's what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for for keeping me accountable on this. (laughs) I'm going to write it down and like keep sending you periodical reminders. Your deadline is upcoming. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be afraid to whip me into shape, Sarah. <laughs> I would not. I would never be afraid to whip anything into anything. <laughs> I know. I trust you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I suppose it's, it's it's one of those things. Like people turn to taking selfies as a kind of comforting thing, like looking in the mirror. Whereas mm-hmm. for me, I have this picture of myself in my head. That if I take a selfie and the, sel- the lighting is bad, I have the it's like the reverse effect of comfort. I have I, I I feel like pissed off or irritated. It's not like dysphoria or anything. It's not that serious, but it's more like annoying. I mean, it's a question of what we all you know. We all have something that we turn to for comfort in that way. And yes, it is true that a lot of people are just getting very accustomed to capturing images of themselves that have been heavily filtered, that they're identifying with that externalized representation of themselves, which is very removed from what Mm. they really look like. They're digitally warped images. And yeah, I guess I would be so interested to know about, is it Generation Alpha, like children of millennials? Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be fascinating to like figure out to the, yeah, yes, just, to, just to see them grow up and to see what they're like. Um, but I think I feel the same way as you. Like, I don't take a lot of selfies because I have mm. an image of myself in my head that's like that's actually very informed by cinema. I think because I was like sitting in front of the TV watching like videotapes from a really young age, and so I was watching mm-hmm. like musicals and like films and like all this Technicolor stuff, and so I've been like gazing at beauty. Like I've been gazing at the sublime for a long time. Yeah. So sometimes when I and and I like absorb, so like I kind of like absorb. I use that as my mirror, a little bit because I've looked at it so much. Like I think that that's that I look like that too. So when mm. I take a selfie, I find it really jarring because it's like I feel yeah I feel like I'm like full up of beautiful images, and if it's not like showing on my face, then it really it annoys me. So I don't take very many selfies. Um, I can so relate to that. That's so well put. It's very relatable what you said. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I love looking at beautiful women's faces. (laughs) 
Me too. I could just, you know, I think that's why we were both into fashion and like why you watch makeup tutorials and I like, you know, keep watching Mm -hmm. like all of these old films where like women are just like these airbrushed perfect kind of goddesses. Mm Because I just, yeah, like this is just so pleasurable. Remember when we went to see that film at the London Film Festival and we didn't enjoy it that much, but the lead actress was so gorgeous. Yes. Um, what was it? A banquet. A banquet, that's right. And I was like, you know, it wasn't, it, it, you know, the film didn't really click with either of us. No. But the, we both came out and were like, how how beautiful was that actress? How yes. gorgeous. And that was the pleasurable thing. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think that it does, like, I don't know I feel like when someone else takes a picture of me like I can see much more like all of the beauty that I've absorbed like through Mm -hmm. osmosis I think it's just the self-consciousness of taking the selfie where I'm like searching for it in my face and finding it lacking so yeah I do think like you can see I think you can see as well like the way we do our makeup you can see the art influences like on our faces I always feel much more comfortable when I've got when I've done my makeup in a certain way and my makeup look is definitely a culmination of all the films I've watched all of like the costume Mm. dramas I loved when I was a kid like there's and yeah definitely yeah oh definitely yeah for sure I mean I I think that I unconsciously have tried to replicate certain things as well in my makeup like um Monica Bellucci and Nigella Lawson. I can see both of those in your makeup. Definitely. Definitely. Really? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Oh, wow. It's so cool. I really love Nigella Lawson. Oh, my God. She's so beautiful. She's the most beautiful angel, and she's also, like, <laughs> really clever and witty. She's, like, the perfect woman. I'm completely in love with Nigella Lawson. I can't imagine that there's a single person that isn't in love with Nigella Lawson. Like, who? what I kind know. of person? I know. I know. I mean, all that and brains too. Like seriously. Yeah, she's just she's oh, everything. She did you is. see? Did you see um the meme where? Did you watch her last series last Christmas where she said microwave? No, she I didn't. said she said um <laughs> she said like she was like and I'm just going to pop this into the microwave and it was just like this this sort of social media story with like Nigella Lawson doesn't know how to say microwave and she like she was like of course I know how to say microwave I'm not an idiot like it's just <laughs> it was a joke and then I saw a meme the other day that was that was like a picture of her and at the front it was like Nigella what's the new um what's the new COVID wave wave and, and it says Omicron wave <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I'm gonna t- I'm gonna share a daydream with you that I have. It's this is like my a- ASMR, but like visual ASMR. Mm-hmm. I imagine like going to her house. I don't know where she lives, maybe Chelsea or something. And um, and she has me around, and I'm feeling a bit poorly, like I do at the moment. <laughs> and she like puts me down on the sofa and puts like a nice cozy blanket over me, brings me hot cocoa. And then she goes into the kitchen and makes like a nice, delicious veggie pasta, very creamy sauce too. And then she puts it in a nice bowl, pretty presentation, and she goes, let's go eat this in bed. (laughs) (laughs) So she just like snuggles me in bed and she just feeds me pasta in bed as I'm so relaxed and warm and snuggly. 
Wow, Mary, I think you just wrote your first piece of Nigella fan fiction. <laughs> she's she's my mommy. <laughs> yeah, she's she's everybody's mommy. That's the thing about her. Like, there's no one like her. She's incredible. Mm, she's know. from a different. She's from a different time. She is. She is. I mean, to have that much beauty and so like nourishing and funny and appealing and smart. Like, there's just the list goes on and on. She's it amazing. Really does. Also, it's so like strange for because I think something about Death Becomes Her is it could only be an American film mm-hmm. because I, um, you know, I was thinking I've been thinking about there's been a lot of stuff about like um, how great English actors are, English actors making it in Hollywood. Um, you know, like how how good like you know we have like a bu- you know twenty actors and they're in everything on TV and um and you know people kind of asking why british actors are so good and i think it's partly because we just don't have a beauty standard like they do in hollywood mm. so you you know you can be an incredibly successful english actor and just be normal looking yeah. you know like still be like still beautiful but not yeah. like not sublime they don't require like you know they don't require like uncannily <laughs> beautiful people and so, yeah, not, that's the reason. like um, Leo DiCaprio. Exactly. So, like, and Leo DiCaprio, someone who's an incredible actor and incredibly beautiful, that doesn't come along very often. So a lot no. of, I think a lot of Hollywood actors are like fine, but well, they're incredibly beautiful because it's so much harder to be like not, you know, not traditionally good looking in Hollywood yeah. and make it, you know, and make it as like an actor. Whereas in the UK, we don't have that, those requirements you know mm. so and le- then like you know Hollywood will also just drop actors when they stop being good looking no matter how good they are so I think um so yeah Nigel is such a weird like a weird <laughs> English thing because she's like an incredibly clever person and in like and like old Hollywood beautiful so yeah. it's just it's a little bit overwhelming yeah and tell me about it it's super overwhelming yeah. she's just so creamy you know <laughs> Yeah, creamy is the word. Creamy is such a good word. I love using creamy for everything. Alex, uh, Alex uses it for his sheets because he bought Ooh. like high thread count sheets. And he's, like, <laughs> he's like, I got the creamy sheets out. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, they are really creamy. <laughs> yeah, it's a vibe. It is a vibe. It's the new word. It's the word of 2022. Creamy. <laughs> yeah, I love the way that both. Um, Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn look in this film like yes. they're just so they're so incredibly beautiful like what the scene where they've just been like made up with the car spray paint and they're oh like they're just like this like fresh like spring colors and like they're just like so ethereally beautiful I think it's amazing yeah. and when you first get a glimpse of Helen post-transformation <laughs> and she's got like something I've always really loved is that she's got like two hairstyles going on like she's got like really tight curls on one side of her head and then like waves on the other side like it's a really weird like how why has she got like two different she's got like half a hairstyle each side have you yes. noticed that it's a really yeah. strange like yeah it's this like I guess it's like maybe like a reference to like like doubling or something like that she's got like two opposite 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 hairstyles it's always been I've never seen a hairstyle I like more in a film (laughs) I think it's so amazing oh for sure yeah yeah I mean there's something just a little bit you know slightly off kilter about their looks even when they're super glammed up yeah. And it, it's, it, it is just that slight, you know, discrepancy or something left over 
that becomes, you know, really kind of amplifies their, their uncanny pursuit for beauty. I've actually got this really good quote here I want to read out because Death Becomes Her has kind of acquired a significant cult following, especially in the LGBT community. Mm. And so Tom Campbell, who's a producer on RuPaul's Drag Race, this is what he had to say on the film's appeal to gay audiences. He said, Helen and Madeline are fighting for beauty. They're against the system. They're also villains, but we understand their complexity. We root for the undead divas because they're trying to win a game that's rigged against them and they have to do it backwards and in high heels. Whoa, that's a great quote. That's it amazing. is, right? Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's kind. Of, I like the, this idea of beauty being like a game with like established rules and we all have to comply, but they're so rebellious, like they're fighting that system. Isn't there like a line about that when she meets, um, when she meets Liesl and she says something like it's nature's way? Like she's like sort of she says and, and Lisa mm. is just like no it's not <laughs> like it's like yes. it's really that it's that's kind of like checked in there like um, they definitely have that conversation where Madeline sort of says something and Lisa is just like it doesn't have to be <laughs> like you know it's this yeah it's this moment I, I like this kind of um, fighting spirit that they have where they don't just accept that they have to let be handed their hat and shown the door <laughs> you know like they still yeah. have. They have this desire to continue playing on their terms, so it is very, it is very subversive. Yeah, one hundred percent. Would you take the potion, Mary, if you were offered? What are you talking about? I'm seventy-one years old. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've already taken it. <laughs> well, share it. I want it too. I would definitely take it. That sort of bit at the end where Bruce Willis is like. Is like, you know, all my friends will die. Like, I might get bored. I'm just like, no, I would get new friends, like, every 100 years. Like, it would be, like, give it to me. Like, I have no qualms about taking it. Yes. I mean, I really, like, that line from the movie where she says, I'm 71 years old, is so hilarious to me because she looks so hot. Yeah. And to say something like that, like, that's the ultimate flex, you know? Yes. Definitely. I love that exchange because she like makes her guess and she's like 38, 28. <laughs> like she's, like, she looks really young. <laughs> it's, it's such a funny film. I could like, it's re- actually really hard to watch it with a kind of a critical analytical gaze because it's just it like, is. it's just so much fun and so funny. It's so fun. It's hilarious. Yeah. I a huge recommend for people who haven't seen it. Um, I remember teaching this at the Freud Museums. It was for like a series on the death drive. And Mm -hmm. actually I linked this movie in because I was talking about like Freud's theory of speculative biology, how he talks about like living cells uh, have this energy inside them that is also destructive. It's like a paradoxical thing. They want to live, but on the flip side, there's also a, an urge to self-destruct. Mm-hmm. And um, Freud like interprets that tendency of the cells to indicate a natural inclination to return to an earlier state of things, you know, basically before you were born. And 
I think there's something about that as well. I think that I think when we're talking about beauty, it's a bit like when we were talking about fashion in our fashion film series, how there seems to be a connection between fashion and death. Mm-hmm. And I think beauty is a part of that industry. There is that kind of strange impulse in what we represent to be like full of life and joyful and sexually alluring. But at the same time, there's a darker underside to it you know, yeah. that one that actually wants to die. So hence why I think the femme fatale is the perfect archetype for what we mean when we talk about death and fashion and death and beauty, that the beautiful woman presents an exciting adventure possibilities. And it's like, there's a life force attached to her, but she's also going to ruin your life, you know? <laughs> I Yeah, I like that that moment where she where she Helen comes to the house when Madeline's out and she the, mm-hmm. like it, it makes me laugh so much when she goes when she says I wasn't able to say that before sexual sexuality sex <laughs> like and she just like keeps repeating sex <laughs> like it, it, it makes me laugh so much but there's that idea that you know like this beauty has kind of like I don't know like freed up her like sexual impulses like she doesn't have to I don't know like there's this weird idea that she couldn't be like a sexual person when she wasn't beautiful which I think is really Mm. interesting of like she's kind of she's like lost this like like this inhibition or like this darkness but then on the other hand like by removing like because they remove the possibility of death from their bodies like Mm -hmm. is that kind of um is that kind of a loss like is that sort of that like unbridled sexuality like because it's not kind of shrouded over by anything like in the unconscious any kind of like any kind of Mm. shame any kind of perversion anything like that like does it kind of make their lives like hollow in a strange way that's a good point because there's that lack of tension there yeah because they can never they can never die like they were so that they're like they're sort of like destructive objects, but they don't have any like inbuilt destruction of their own. So mm-hmm. like, what must it be like to be like an object that like signals <laughs> like destruction for everyone else apart from you? Like there's no, yeah, there's no tension. There's no sexual no. tension or otherwise for you. That's so true. So in a way, like those traumas and hang-ups or whatever they are like you know feelings of shame or things that have been repressed the fact Mm. that we're as live human beings having to contend with that and there's always this this push and pull between our conscious personality and those things that we've like talked away that creates that that dynamism I guess and that's yeah. that's kind of what's attractive. That's the feeling of being alive. Exactly. That's what makes us feel alive. And that's I what think makes us feel alive. That's a really interesting thing with I you know, I've noticed that there is like a move like in like when in like the way younger generations talk about sex, for example, there mm-hmm. is like pot sex positivity, body positivity, like, you know, all of this like, you know, like breaking down taboos. But part of me is like, if you're not careful, if you remove all the taboos from sex, like sex isn't going to be fun. Like you have to be really, you have to be so careful about like total happiness (laughs) in a way, because there's nothing (laughs) like without like the other side of things, you're not like, you're not going to feel happy. You, you know, we only feel like 
so we only feel like truly like sexual and truly alive and tr- like because there is that tension yes exactly that's what creates that kind of erotic movement or yeah. the thing that animates us brings us into action is that dynamism that's important it's not to create like a complete blank slate where we're rid of all our traumas and all our shame mm-hmm. that's fucking boring you know? exactly <laughs> that's the take out like it just just that 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 very quick like two seconds of audio that's the that's the audiogram for this week that's really good (laughs) I'm gonna come back to to this episode and and listen back when I feel I'm in doubt because I feel like we're I feel like we're um resolving a lot of important things here yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm not saying that I won't like have a boob job in like five years to <laughs> like, get like a little bit of what they're getting. Um, but but yeah, there is a there is something. I think that is kind of why they decay in the end because yes. they do like they remove the the tension. They remove like yeah, yeah exactly. There's, yeah, there's no there's no like fight for life. I guess in the- wow, yes, there's no fight for life. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so in a way Bruce Willis is right but just not for those stupid reasons that he said (laughs) yeah oh I love that (laughs) now from the ridiculous to the sublime yes makeup this is a film that we saw together am I right we saw it together yes at the 2019 London Film Festival we did, and I and I really remember that screening so well because it was uncanny the way I just ran into you. Yes, that was the one where I just came and sat down, and you were sitting next to me. Like that was very yeah. uncanny. So, so yeah, for that reason alone, it's well placed in our um, in our in our uncanny series. But it's very. It, the, I had forgotten right. how uncanny the imagery in makeup was actually. Yeah, it is. It's very dreamlike. Yeah. It is because I was I like my. I think my memory of it had kind of faded over time, and because, I mean, like uh, you can edit this out if you want, because it's like a bit of a criticism mm. of like the British film industry. But I am starting to like. I mean, there are there are like exceptions to the rule. Like I thought, Censor was really brilliant this year, but in the festival, I feel like I've seen so many like British mm. films that are all like they they're very they're all on this kind of style of like a person like suffering or like finding their Mm. sexuality or like being poor and cold in the countryside and (laughs) like the sound design is like very naturalistic and there is a lot of like silent moments and I'm getting really really bored of it like I'm all for like underprivileged people discovering their sexuality in the countryside but like I don't want to watch it a thousand (laughs) times it's like misery porn it is misery porn and it's also like it was very it was very new and exciting when it was like Lynn Ramsey and Andrea Arnold mm. like we yeah, but now I've seen it so many times and I want a new I want like things to change and that's why I like censor so much because it didn't feel like a like one of those films it was very you know like there was like lots of like synthetic colors it was like a really interesting story it had a beginning middle and end like you know it was I was like you know it was like film that's what I like so much about Death Becomes Her because it's from an era where like films also you know great films were also great entertainment and I think yeah you know there is sometimes like sometimes filmmakers are forgetting that I think 
and kind of getting enamored with like the beauty of the the like the natural surroundings of their hometown or whatever. So <laughs> like part of me when I when I, I was like, oh, do I really want to watch Makeup again? Do I really want to watch another one of those films? But it's not another one of those. No, films. it's you're right. It's not. It transcends. It does, and that's like that's really yeah. It really kind of. Yeah, it really is like head and shoulders above a lot of other films of that type, because yeah, as you said, it does transcend. transcend. It's a, it's actually a different genre than I thought it was. It's a really interesting film. Well said. I really agree with that. <laughs> I feel bad bitching about like our contemporaries' work, but you know, like some things. I think like people, you know, like it's that national film and television like school sort of like <laughs> style I'm so sick of it and I like I just want something different and something exciting so yeah um sorry sorry British film industry I know I'm not going to be invited <laughs> to the dinners <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get invited to the dirt bag film industry dinners you know yeah that's where I want I want to crack into the dirt bag side of the film industry <laughs> like I don't definitely yeah um I also I'm forgetting to synopsize so I'm going to do it very quickly oh yeah sure um so makeup 2019 Claire Oakley um my, this is very short in contrast to death becomes her mm. um a young woman Ruth joins her boyfriend at the car- caravan park he works in for the winter a discovery of long hair and lipstick marks in his caravan lead Ruth to Jade a fellow worker at the park who has a skill for hair and makeup perfect mm. Yeah, I mean, I love that red is so significant in this film, mm-hmm. the color red. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, in that way, it's very Hitchcockian, I thought. Yes, it is very Hitchcockian. Actually, Hitchcock is kind of like a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about in this episode are like Hitchcock tropes, like, you know, sublime mm. beauty, vastness. He has a lot of big things. Um, yeah, this color red, like all of these, like sort of um, objects, like suffused with like power. It's a very Hitchcockian film, actually. It really is. Yeah, yeah, like the thrilling mystery of it, and the return constantly to this one color. And I love how Claire Oakley captured the luminosity of the red in a single strand of hair. How the hell did she do that? <laughs> I do not know. Like, actually, when that bit where Jade says that's real human hair, I was like, it's not. <laughs> like, no, it's so not. No way. Is it? <laughs> no one's hair is that color, and it's like it's very, very synthetic. Like, she must it have. Is. She must have had an amazing colorist actually for this film, because yes. it's so. Because the other colors are not like that. The other colors aren't vivid in that no. way. And like the way she captures it underwater in that scene where she's like <gasps> under the waves. Oh my God. It's like, that's impossible. So she must have had, like, whoever the colorist is for um, makeup. Yeah. Well done. Incredible job. I mean, it was luminous. It was sparkling mm-hmm. under the water. Yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah, I feel like that That made me think of, like, how cool would it be if we had a super transgressive, like, modern live-action readaptation of Little Mermaid? <laughs> That would be really cool. That would be so like like um a story that is like actually close to the original fable, as mm-hmm. opposed to like because like the original fable is like a horror story, isn't it? It is like it's completely different to the Disneyfied version. That's a really good idea. Well, I mean, it looks like A twenty four are not going to bite on our idea about <laughs> the remake 
of whatever happened to baby jane so like we're gonna have to produce that so why don't we also get claire oakley to make the real little mermaid <gasps> oh my god yes perfect with claire at the helm of this it would yeah. be ravishing it would be amazing oh god we're getting we're doing such great projects <laughs> now. i know and it's so easy it's like not hard work at all <laughs> I love how we have all these films in the pipeline at the moment. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's really impressive considering that we have a lot of other work on that we're getting these films made. Like, really? Yeah. I don't know why people, I don't know why people complain so much about getting films made. We've already got two going. <laughs> in a fortnight. Perfect. Yeah, yeah we're really prolific. Um, it was really interesting there's some like a lot of doubling in this film as well that made it, you know, just added continually to the uncanny where uh, Ruth is, she seems to constantly be like finding herself being asked to dance. Yes. And, but being willing to like being reluctant and shy and the, her dance partner, whether it's her boyfriend or Jade is like super into it. And they're super like performative and outgoing and extroverted. Um, I noticed that kind of repetition. I liked it. Me too. I like actually everything that they do with uh, Ruth's character, like to kind of yeah. imply, like they sort of this, like the way that she dresses and like the way that she kind mm -hmm. of like, well, yeah, like as you say, the way she's like reluctant to dance, the way she goes into the sea with like all her clothes on. Like, and oh, I think yeah. all of oh, that. <laughs> All of that sea stuff is like amazing because it's exactly what I fear about the sea. Like, and mm -hmm. I have nightmares about the sea all the time because it is like, mm. you know, so symbolic of like this, like under the surface, you know, yes. like vastness, which is really frightening. And it is, I, but my favorite line in the whole film is when she goes to see the woman who runs the caravan park and this woman goes, goes, um, I used to, <laughs> I used to be frightened of the sea. And when I learned to swim, I was no longer scared of dogs. <laughs> like, <laughs> that was just, hilarious. It's so funny, but it's also like, it's so like kind of what the entire film is about. Like, yeah. it's so, it's so, it's so like brilliant. That whole, like that could be, that should be the tagline of the movie. <laughs> when I learned to swim, I was no longer scared of dogs. Like what? What an amazing thing to say. Like, it, it just, it's like, it's very that's very psychological or like very psychoanalytic like this idea hey. that you can cure an unrelated thing by uncovering <laughs> by uncovering something completely different mm -hmm. yeah it's amazing and there so, are all those scary dogs in the film like there's that there like are. scary alsatian and like this kind of scary it's kind of like frightening masculinity mm -hmm. yeah yeah, I love the surrealism of that line, but it is yeah. very psychoanalytic, as you said. Yeah, I I like. No, I wish yeah. I'd used it for the intro for this for this series. Like, I just hadn't. Oh. I, I, I like didn't find a clip that extended to that conversation, so mm -hmm. like I used a different one. But like, if I could go back and change it, I would put that line in. Oh like, it encapsulates the whole film for me. I think it's brilliant. It really does. She was a hilarious character in the film. Exactly. She's one of, she's another, like, you know, I feel like I've seen her before, like, great character yeah. actor, one of our, you know, like, one of our great British actors, like, lots of. Definitely. Yeah. Actually, I liked everyone in this film. I thought everyone was really good. Me too. I have to say that Jade is another, I mean, I have to add this actress now. Is it uh, Stephanie Mart 
What is her name? I'm going to add it around Is it Stephanie Martini or am I making Stephanie Martini, (laughs) yeah. What an amazing name. (laughs) What an amazing name. But I have to add her now to my special little file of beautiful women's faces that I like to think about because, wow, she is so beautiful. She's, she's gorgeous. really beautiful, and but she's also really versatile, I think. Like, I feel like I wouldn't recognize her in a different part if she had, like, different hair mm. and makeup. Mm-hmm. So she's got really one of those actress, actors' faces that, like, can just kind of look like anything, I think. Yeah, she's amazing looking. Yeah, she really does. She's got the perfect face to apply makeup on, like, the perfect canvas for a makeup artist because she has those beautiful, deep-set eyes so much lid space like I would do so much cool like smoky eye looks on her and beautiful skin oh my god like she she's and she also I feel like she performed the function in the film for Ruth which is like my fantasy with Nigella you know having like a beautiful voluptuous woman like take me in and like nurse me back to health and like rock me to sleep and you know like that, that kind of thing you know yeah also, there's something like really erotic about um, doing someone's makeup because you're like drawing out this like other personality from like yeah. deep inside someone. And it's really like it's quite kind of a trusting thing when you let someone else do like your makeup or your nails or something Definitely. like that, because they're like you're telling them you're telling them what you think is beautiful, or, like what moves you. And then they're like translating <laughs> it on your face. It's really it's a really strange concept it's very intimate yeah yeah it is for sure yeah yeah definitely I mean um and also just the fact that you use these products if you're not an you know if you're if you're an amateur makeup artist like I am then the products you're applying onto somebody else are the ones that you use on yourself so it's like this strange connection using the kind of material realm of of, of beauty you know sharing that between yourself and somebody else I have to say when I'm in someone else's bathroom like I will you like if I come into your, your <laughs> I will use your products and like mm. some people consider that like some people are just like what the fuck like that's really rude but like I am so desperate to see what other people put on their faces <laughs> their like hands and hair and faces so like if I stay at someone's house I will use all of their products like if you leave me alone in, in your house for like even a really small amount of time, I will like have taken my makeup off and put your makeup on because I want to see, I, I want to see like what I could look like if I had someone else's, <laughs> like if I had made someone else's choices or like, I don't know. And like, is it, is it better than mine? Like, well, it could like, can I take a bit of them and incorporate it into me? Like it's some, it's so, oh, I just find other people's that. makeup so exciting. Other people's makeup, face wash, moisturizer shampoo anything perfume perfume like I will use like everyone's stuff I do it with like men women like I'm just I want to use the thing that they they use I don't know I'm just it's like my obsession it's actually been really hard like during COVID like not going into anyone's (laughs) house and using their makeup I just had to like buy so many beauty products of my own (laughs) (laughs) oh my god I think that's amazing and um, you know, if you have, if you were to do that when you came around to mine, I I consider that a huge compliment. Actually, I have you done that. I'm going to put you on the spot. Yes. 
<laughs> I haven't like I haven't done it to like the extent that I could do it, but I've definitely like dipped into your cupboards and like dipped my fingers in. Like, oh my god, I love when it. I, when we've like recorded at your house and then I've gone to the toilet, that's what I'm doing. Like I haven't like put your makeup on, but I've definitely like gone inside your cupboards and been, like boop boop boop. <laughs> like, I'm just, like, put it or like on my jawline a little bit. I'm just like, mm. <laughs> like yeah definitely wow yeah okay well I have to say I'm absolutely honored and you can do that anytime (laughs) you want you can go through anything thank you Um, yeah (laughs) that's really cute it's it's a nice thing to do I think that's uh very playful and 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 sweet I think it's a nice part of friendship to be able to do that I do too. Like, I think there are some people who really don't like it. And I think maybe those people are only children or don't have sisters because um, like some people get all they do have sisters and their relationship with their sisters is like really dysfunctional. So they hate yeah. it. Like I've I've definitely had some people be like, do not use my stuff. <laughs> I've been like, okay, well, <laughs> we can't be friends then. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah like I also love it like I'm whenever people stay around I'm always like I've got this moisturizer I've got this face mask I've got this I've got this like use this I always want other people to use my stuff as well so that they can like I'm like this is what I'm made of use it basically yeah it's so sweet and it's a compliment you know it's like someone wants to be close to you I think so too yeah 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 definitely I have that impulse too for sure yeah um I mean when we kind of see it in the movie what's interesting is that she like that impulse that very impulse of like getting to know someone through the kind of ritual of putting on nails and a manicure and doing makeup and stuff like that is represented as something quite like like pushing the boundaries for 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 Ruth you know because she does present as someone who's like she's a natural beauty. She doesn't, she doesn't, we don't ever see her applying makeup or like she was just wears a sports bra and like sweatpants, you know, and uh, or what do you call them? Tracksuit bottoms? Tracksuit bottoms. <laughs> yeah. Tracksuit bottoms. Um, it is interesting though, because it kind of symbolizes like her outfits already because she says, I look, I feel like I look like a stupid child if I put on makeup. Mm-hmm. And she, there's something really childlike about her. And that's kind of when you get the sense that something's wrong because someone who's had a boyfriend for three years, like a boyfriend that they've been mm-hmm. sleeping with for three years, like shouldn't still be in childhood, but she exactly. like really is. So like the make, like the transformation is like symbolic of her erotic awakening. It's kind of like exactly. she's still a virgin until she meets Jade. Yeah. Yeah. That is so true. That mm-hmm. is so true. Like her, her, capacity for eroticism has not at all been tested even though she's been basically having sex for three years which is crazy like when she even tells Jade that you know we've been together since we were 15 and then and and Jade looks like nonplussed so Ruth says most people are impressed by that (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's hilarious and the fact that you know we see scenes of Ruth pretending to go to the bathroom to brush her teeth that she's just running the water and she's stimulating herself manually yeah um, I love that so that she, yeah just so that she can get into it with her boyfriend like why the fuck isn't he doing that for her yeah it's really that's a really great scene like and I love I actually love that scene so much because the camera 
does this like thing where it like travels <laughs> like a little bit down and then like comes a little bit like and then comes back to the I don't know I just thought it was yeah. really beautiful like this kind of like really beautiful moment of like kind of consider like we're like it's like the camera's like telling us like there's something to find out here or like something to consider mm -hmm. it's a very mm -hmm. it's an interesting camera movement I really like I noticed there's so much like formal stuff that I noticed about this film that I usually don't notice with cinema yeah true she she's very unconventional and with her framing yes um she deliberately seems to not center certain things you know, in, in, her, in her composition, which just attracts your eye more to it. And you realize there's some, as you say, there's something to discover here. Yeah. Yeah, she's really good. She's got a great eye. Um, I mean, I love that. I love Jade's house, <laughs> like her little, it's just so cute the way she's done it. And it's like on this really nice part of where they are, where she seems to get the sunset and sunrise. Yes, and like lights, all the all the, like the colored lights in her house. It was yeah. kind of a bit, um, a bit eyes wide shut, a little bit like the um, the sex workers' house in eyes wide shut, like this mm -hmm. kind of like modest house with really beautiful colored lights. Um, and the fact that she like <laughs> lives with her, she lived with her grandmother, um, mm -hmm. is really important to me as well. Like maybe it's because I lived with my grandmother for so long, but it feels mm. like she doesn't. Like she, it's like, it, there's like an implication that she like comes from like this like female lineage, like with no, with no men. So she kind of like, her, her caravan is like mini Lesbos. Like it's like a totally like feminine space that hasn't been like masculinized. So I think that's like a wow. really important touch. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, mm. you're right. It's like this little enclave of femininity. Yeah. Exactly. Whereas everything else in the caravan park is really like, you know, there's this, all these guys with their, their scary dogs and like <laughs> around. And so, and like, so there's this like little kind of sanctuary of, of like makeup and like soft lighting and like motherly, like sort of motherly energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so sweet. It's very soothing. Like, I would love to go there to have, like, a spa day with Jade. <laughs> oh, 100%. Like, and, like, there's almost – she's almost kind of, like um, – there's something a bit witchy about her because she has this, yeah. like, manicure table. She has these wigs that she's making. So you get mm. this idea of this, like, self-sustaining, like, craftsman. You know how, mm. like, witches used to, like, live on, like, the edge of the community and they used to provide, like, cures for, like, ailments – and mm -hmm. like various other kind of things with their skills and that's how they used to like survive and you kind of get the sense of her on like that she's like because she's clearly like an outcast in a way because the like the men are really like distrustful of her and they say she's got a reputation but they don't elaborate on what that reputation is so there is actually real like she kind of is like represented as like the witch of the community she really is mm. with her little rituals and that people are wary of her and her reputation precedes her and she, she, they already know that she possesses a power that they can never encroach upon. Yeah. And that makes her independent and her whole kind of, yeah, like her, her autonomy is something that's threatening, is, is perceived as threatening by the men. I mean, Bruce just came out of the sea and was cold and 
Jade helped her by lending her her jacket. Mm-hmm. And it caused this massive ruckus. <laughs> yeah, it did. I mean, like, um, reasonably so when you get to the end of the film, because she does, like, you know. Reasonably so. But it's just that little benign gesture to me is really interesting. You know, that I guess what maybe Jade represents in terms of symbolically bringing like a protection and a sort of like a a sweet nourishment to Ruth Mm -hmm. where she really needs it. I mean, she does that a couple of times. Remember when she bailed her out with the laundry? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You know, so there's a pattern of, she's like a kind of benevolent angel. And she gives her a manicure so she'll stop biting her nails as well. So like everything she does for Ruth is like from a place of like care and protection. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God, I love it. It's so cute. And it's like really genuine on screen. I feel they have chemistry. Yeah, definitely. But the response from her boyfriend is is also very telling because he obviously freaks out and he's very, he feels very intimidated and threatened. But then, which is fair enough, I guess, you know, you, if, if the chemistry is that obvious, it makes sense mm-hmm. for like a partner to be jealous. And yeah. I get that. But I, what I find the most revealing is that the boyfriend makes a decision to lock Ruth inside the caravan. Yes. You know, like that's his that's his coping mechanism to like keep her locked up, like closeted or um, suppressed. Yeah, that is such a powerful scene. It's so amazing. Like, yeah. and he, yeah, he really takes like, it, I do really love that jacket where he says, you've got her, you're wearing her jacket and this, and it's just this really kind of like powerful, like moment because like, I don't know, there's something, yeah, I can totally, I don't I feel like I totally relate to him in that moment of like, just to, you have just completely know that there's something going on between like mm-hmm. the person that you're with and someone else. And like, it's like that jacket has just like ruined everything forever. Yeah. Yeah, it has. I mean, it's a, as you say, it's very powerful. There's all kinds of things on the back of it. It looks like a kind of, I don't know, it looks like it's like a, almost as if it's been decorated in a ceremonial way or something. There, there's something majestic about it. It's true. Like, I hadn't really considered it before, but there's something so, like, mythological about the character of Jade. Like, she's got so much, yeah. like, there's just so much kind of symbolism and so much, like, yeah strange Mm -hmm. like witchy magical stuff about her um and I think there is like and again like it's that same thing of like uh, basically like um Ruth kind of borrows Jade's appearance until she's like ready to have to like you know like show her true self and Mm -hmm. so I guess like that's where that jacket is just such a dead giveaway because like you know that he couldn't necessarily see her like you know putting the makeup on or like getting her nails done or anything like that but when you like see someone in someone else's clothes like that it's just such a dead giveaway of like you know your admiration at the very least your like admiration for that person you know that is true yeah Mm -hmm. yeah you're right maybe it's it wasn't as innocent as when I first saw it It, the, the connotations are very strong Mm-hmm. with a jacket um, yeah I mean you're right and I love the fact that the uncanny power of beauty is ritualistically employed by Jade 
in her seduction, yeah. you know? Yes. Because it is so intimate. Like it's something that is, yeah, really kind of capturing the magic of what we're doing when we're applying makeup. I mean, there's actually a good... um I think it's No Doubt. I don't think it's Gwen Stefani's solo stuff, but she has a song called Magic's in the Makeup. Do you know it? No, I don't. I haven't heard it. You should have it as the end song for this. Definitely. So she says, can you tell I'm faking it, but I want to be myself. A counterfeit disposition can't be good for my health. So many different faces depending on the different phases. My personality changes. I'm a chameleon. There's more than one dimension. I can fool you and attract attention. Camouflage my nature. Let me demonstrate. The chorus is makeup's all off. Who am I? The magic's in the makeup. So who am I? Wow. That's amazing. I know. Isn't that profound? Yeah. Very, <laughs> very profound. I love that. Yeah. I mean, um, Gwen Stefani, of course, has also uh, dabbled in makeup collaboration. She had like an eyeshadow palette with Urban Decay. Oh, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, I, just the way like she used to transform her appearance, like mm-hmm. it, it's amazing. Like the phases that she's gone through, like the hair and makeup, all of that like iconic stuff in the 90s. Like, And then she got that kind of slick old Hollywood glamour thing in the early 2000s. Yeah. She's, oh, she's just amazing. I I, I miss her, actually. I miss her being on the scene. I thought she was incredible. I know. She was so amazing. So cool. Yeah, really cool. I mean, just going back to this movie, like I like that the emphasis is placed on attracting what you want through the magic of makeup. Like mm-hmm. you, can, you can kind of consolidate all of your energies on your, you know, the target of your love, whatever, your crush or something. And you can will it to happen, but you've got this device that you can also employ within that manifestation process. And the makeup and the kind of nail varnishes and all these little pampering objects, they can they can hold space for your magic. So they they become like your allies in your in your in your, in your seductive strategy. Oh, that's so beautiful. That just makes me want to go and put makeup on right now. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> I love that so much. Well, Sunday's traditionally when I rest my skin, don't have any makeup on, so I won't. <laughs> but, like, yeah, that's such a beautiful way to put it. And it's so, like, it really takes it from the kind of uncanny, like, this sort of, like, the uncanny lifelessness of Death Becomes Her. And yes. it kind of suffuses it with, as you say, the sublime, which is really interesting. Y- yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, um, and I love the idea of getting what you want by infusing inanimate objects to bring them on side as your allies. And you're like, you've got this whole like arsenal of of techniques that you can employ to get what you want. Because that's witchcraft, you know, it is like relying on objects and infusing them with your own magic. You're the one bringing the magic. You're just kind of like enlivening these things that you're now employing and all of this energy is being consolidated and you're going to get what you want. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's an amazing note to end on. What an inspiring thing. Everyone's going to go and do their makeup after listening to <laughs> Yeah. Do your makeup and post it and tag us. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's really good. I love that. 
Oh, mm-hmm. when, well, we're having dinner next Friday. So yeah. let's show up made up to the nines. <gasps> okay. Yeah. Challenge accepted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you again for rescheduling me. I was so ill. That's fine. I'm really <laughs> sorry that you were ill, but it's no problem. But you know what? This has really been a tonic for me. I feel much better already having talked to you, Sarah. Oh, I'm really glad. Well, I hope you feel completely recovered soon. And I'm sorry that you've been so ill. But thank you so much for recording with me. Another great episode. And next week, we are going to be moving on to Dolls in Dead of Night and Child's Play 2, which I'm really excited about. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) You're going to love it. It's amazing. I'm sure I am. I can already tell. I'm going to watch. I've never seen any Chucky films, any Child's Play films. So (laughs) I'm going to watch one and two together, maybe in a double bill. Oh, perfect. Yeah, you'll love it. I mean, I personally, in my humble opinion, I think Child's Play 2 is a masterpiece and it's been unsurpassed, but, wow. you know, yeah, yeah. I say that with like my whole heart. I love that movie so much. I think so, this yeah. might be, <laughs> I think Child's Play 2 might be end up being the face-off of this series. Like surprising, <laughs> the surprising, the most surprisingly profound of a lot of everything. <laughs> the wild card the wild card exactly (laughs) oh that's great well thank you sarah and everybody make sure you're following us across the board and subscribe to us on your podcast apps leave us reviews and ratings and we'll catch you on the next one bye bye Six, six.